0: Hey folks, your old pal Will here, the leader of Michael and Us Nation, and your own personal god-emperor. My colleague Luke would be very upset with me if I didn't tell you what's been happening on the Michael and Us Patreon, because we have an extra episode every week on patreon.com slash michaelandus. Recently, we watched a very bad right-wing comedy about Bernie Sanders called Free Lunch Express, starring Kevin Sorbo and Malcolm McDowell. Luke had a discussion with Josh Olson and Dave Anthony about Amazon's new Mayor Pete documentary. There have also been recent episodes on subjects ranging from Jurassic Park to No Time to Die to Rush Hour to the comedy of George Carlin. Folks, we need your $5 a month to help fund our lifestyles of wanton hedonism and excess. So please come on down to patreon.com slash Michael and Us and become an official member of Michael and Us Nation yes folks that's the playing it on youtube for luke that's the sound of come together being covered by uh, the fifth beetle you could say <laughs> mr <Mister, laughs> mr robin williams just, turn it off <laughs> I don't know if you remember this you probably didn't see it in the late 90s i remember there was a very hyped tv special that was about the making of george martin's last album george martin for those who don't know the producer often called the fifth yeah the
1: actual fifth Beatle,
0: yeah the the, the one who really helped elevate the beatles took them to the next level and he was doing an album that was like his farewell or something and as part of this i mean george martin such a great producer someone who knows so much about music had the idea of getting a bunch of celebrities to come in and do beatles covers so that's what this special was it was various celebrities coming in hobnobbing with george doing their appallingly shitty karaoke cover
1: so that's what the origin of the robin williams thing we just heard is
0: yeah and in fairness to robin williams like of course he took that invitation who would turn that down jim carrey did i am the walrus and he did a very jim carrey version of it you know (laughs) you know that stupid kind of bullshit uh goldie hahn did a kind of like cool like sexy hard days night like it's been a okay please stop (laughs) okay i won't do any more of that but and then best of all sean connery does a talk singing version of in my life there are places okay i I, I beg you to stop all my life (laughs) though some have changed (laughs) anyway folks welcome to michael and us i'm will sloan here as always with
1: Oh, Luke Savage. Uh, Welcome back, everyone. It sounds like Will enjoyed the 90s Beatles special so much that he wanted to do an entire movie that's basically just that same (laughs) conceit. He's tortured me with a lot of his suggestions for this show, but this one was, uh, I gotta tell you, this was rough.
0: Well, you know, in fairness, I was saying to Luke, I'd love to do something Beatles-oriented. I just watched Get Back, the new Beatles documentary, the much-hyped one. And I think we should do across the universe. And you groaned. You said, "Come on, well, let's do something good." Well, let's there's do... all
1: kinds of good Beatles things we could be doing. The Har- a Hard Day's Night, directed by Richard Lester, is one of the great British new wave films. It's an actual, it's a real film. It's one of my favorites. We could have done that. Could have done. Maybe we should have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Times I was right. Uh, could have done Magical Mystery Tour, which is the one I guess Paul McCartney uh... directed. It's a total mess of a movie. It would have been fun. Could have done Yellow Submarine, also a total mess. The movie The Beatles are barely in. It would have been way more fun than this. But Uh, then my trump card,
0: my trump card, which even you at the time, I don't know if you'd stand by this, but even you at the time had to acknowledge was a good point was yes but across the universe is the michael and us one this is the one that was tailor-made for our podcast and you said fuck so here we are we're doing it uh we have some other stuff off the top though and by the way i I take back everything i said we shouldn't have done this movie Uh, uh, you but you must never listen to it in fact you must burn it
1: (laughs) well so i haven't seen the uh get back yet the the new documentary but it sounds like it's pretty good Oh, I loved
0: it. It was a dream come true. Eight hours hanging with the boys. And it gives you just such a such a more nuanced and complete understanding of what the breakup was like. You've probably seen Let It Be, the original documentary that all this footage was shot for. Which yeah, of course. Everyone remembers that for having the fights in it, for showing a band kind of on the rocks. This one has that, but it also has the boys hanging out. It has all the good stuff. It has the has all the bad stuff. It shows, you know, how dynamite they still were when they were just sitting there doing the work, getting into a groove. Uh, but you also see just all the tensions, all the all the changing dynamics. You see how Paul has basically become the Beatle. Mm-hmm. You see how John is kind of checked out. You see how Yoko is in the inner circle, like literally in the inner circle, sitting next to him. I know Yoko hater folks. But I am just saying.
1: You've been to multiple Yoko Ono exhibits, in fact. I'm always trying to
0: like her. (laughs) I like the idea of Yoko.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, so I haven't seen Get Back yet, although I'm looking forward to it. But the Let It Be film has always been a favorite of mine. I know its reputation is that they're fighting throughout it, but I remember the last time I watched it thinking that the fight scenes such as they are were tame. I mean, Let It Be has the reputation that it does, partly because when it was released, it was kind of I mean, I suppose in some ways an unfinished album. I mean, I know they weren't they weren't happy with it. Um and it was re released as Let It Be Naked and I guess the uh in the two thousands
0: at some point. Yeah, the
1: early two thousands, and that really is a much better version of the record doesn't have all that
0: phil Spector
1: shit you know all those choirs and harps yeah there were there's a lot of overproduction i mean the the v- original version of the long and winding road with that uh orchestral score is really really bad and the let it be naked version which strips that away is so much better but let it be partly has this reputation because it was the last beatles album to be released it wasn't in fact the last beatles album to be recorded that was abbey road and what's amazing is i don't know about the others but i know john lennon felt for years after that that was a really lazy record you know in his famous Rolling Stone interview in 1970 he's really dismissive of it when he's talking to Jan Winner the A side for him is just all of us doing our own thing you know we each we had these songs that were really individualized Like I had come together George had Here Comes a Son Paul had Maxwell's Silver Hammer or whatever but our collaboration as a band had broken down and then for the, the B side of Abbey Road he's just like all that was was bits of songs like stuck together because we couldn't you know we were too lazy to make a real album it's like if you listen to abbey road it's like okay these guys were so were so tight as a band that like this is their laziest work and it's incredible
0: it would be interesting to see a comparable documentary about the making of sergeant pepper or rubber soul where you probably would have seen everyone much more on the same page everyone more equally invested in it like in the get back documentary you see that john is nowhere near as interested in this as paul is at this point Nevertheless, one of the things that's so compelling about it is seeing them at work, seeing how, yeah, Paul is such a dynamo. He's like the Mozart of pop, but he's so much better when he's doing it in front of John.
1: Yeah. Well, as Paul McCartney's uh, eponymous first solo album in 1970 uh, clearly demonstrates, I remember in uh, one of the funniest parts of Lennon's Rolling Stone interview is just how condescending he is about Paul's <laughs> record. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but you know, I used to think John was being unfair, but it's not wrong. It's a pretty lazy record. It's got a few kind of memorable songs, but a lot of it sounds like kind of early versions of songs that you might hear on the white album or, you know, songs that didn't quite make the cut. Like, you know, that song in the white album, why don't we do it in the road, which is kind of almost like a self parody type song. Mm-hmm. A lot of, uh, the McCartney album, the, the 1971, uh, sounds like that there's even even has one of the laziest things i think anyone's ever done on a record which is there's a song called junk that he wrote and then later on the record there's one called sing-along junk and it's just <laughs> the same song without the vocals so you can sing it yourself <laughs> folks couldn't be bothered to write another song i spent so many
0: years kind of disrespecting paul i think regarding him as sort of a lightweight as sort of like a oh doopty 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 kind of mu- musician which i mean frankly he is he is all those things he spent a lot of years being those things but you know just watching the get back documentary made me realize again that you know he is a musical genius there's a scene that's been going around on social media where he's just like strumming on the guitar trying to come up with something and then within three minutes he comes up with get back almost (laughs) fully formed and he's sitting in front of george and ringo who are both visibly bored but then as he's working through this song as he's finding it they start bobbing their heads and they start pulling out their guitars and like getting in
1: on it (laughs) the man's a genius uh he's the best Beatle. gotta give it up for him (laughs) I don't know if I w- want to weigh in on that uh, on that very <laughs> fundamental question. I'd still go to the mats uh, for the idea that John Lennon made more memorable music in the 10 years after the Beatles broke up than Paul has made in the many decades uh, since, but...
0: We're not talking about solo careers here. We're talking about who is the best Beatle. <laughs> and in that competition, I think we have a winner, and I think his name is Paul. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well because uh, so many people have been watching this documentary there's also been a kind of resurgence of a really annoying type of contrarianism which you know I kind of get because it's it's pretty generic to like the Beatles but I think the only thing more generic is trying to do the contrarian take about how, well, the Beatles are not actually very good, or, like, the Beatles were never good, or they're overrated or something. I think the Beatles are pretty good. I'm comfortable saying that on this show.
0: Takes like that used to annoy me more, but I'm a little more zen about it now. It's like it's like pissing in the Grand Canyon. You know, it's huge. They're the Beatles. <laughs> Nothing will harm them. I've also come to realize that, you know, I have takes like that on my own. Uh, I feel that way about Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and it's healthy and good to have at least a couple of like gigantic monolithic cultural touchstones that you have a little bit of antipathy for.
1: Yeah, one of the funniest Patreon cancellations we ever had, like if if you're a creator on Patreon, you have uh you get access to exit surveys where people can tell you, you know, why they quit.
0: None of them do with us, but anyway, go
1: <laughs> ahead. But the funniest one ever was one where uh somebody Said they'd enjoyed the show for months, or it might have been years, but uh, Will Sloan's constant condemnations of Tom Hanks were <laughs> a step too far. <laughs>
0: Well, I like the Beatles a lot more than Tom Hanks, and I I think everybody, even the Beatles haters, down in their heart of hearts, agrees.
1: I guess I'm somewhat sympathetic to, you know, not liking the Beatles if you grew up in the kind of household where, like, your parents were listening to them all the time. I didn't happen to have that experience. So for me, you know, the Beatles were something I kind of discovered at, like, 14 or 15, Mm -hmm. and I've always been able to uh, enjoy and appreciate them since.
0: Yeah, I feel that way about Tom Petty. I heard a lot of him growing up, and I think a lot of people feel warm feet. To the music that their parents were always playing But I feel the opposite uh, Abba and Tom Petty are forever ruined for me
1: <laughs> Well after I finished watching the movie That Will uh, imposed this week uh, I did listen to Sgt. Pepper as a palate cleanser And I, I feel a little bit better Because the film Across the Universe Which is a kind of, uh, I don't know Beatles jukebox musical Is a very odd and, and I found a somewhat nauseating experience Laverty. Raves Strawberry Fields I fell in love with this movie I am the walrus Cuckoo Cajun One thing I can tell you Is you got to be free Four stars for Across the Universe A bold, beautiful, visually enchanting musical across the universe rated pg-13 i saw it in theaters when it came out you know i was one of a small number of people who saw it in theaters the film was an absolute box office bomb well
0: everyone else was in my dorm let me tell you <laughs> for a certain kind of person who is 18 years old in 2007 that movie was a seismic cultural event
1: well when i saw it in theaters uh, i think everybody i saw it with everyone in the theater uh really really enjoyed it i hated it yeah like, and uh I won't say it's, uh, it's aged well at all for me, but uh, the film is a very strange experience because it features all of these songs that you like but done in these versions that you absolutely hate. <laughs> so I think it's kind of rare to watch something that is constantly conjuring up things that you kind of cherish and enjoy but serving them to you in portions that you find totally indigestible. I saw this movie when
0: I was in first year
1: university. It was at the end of 2017, and I had
0: just failed a science exam. We had to take one science credit at the University of Toronto to be a well-rounded student, they said. You had to, and I just completely bombed it. it felt awful. I was wandering through the annex in toronto in despair and i walked past the bloor cinema you know like woody allen and hannah and her sisters just had to like get my mind off
1: it's so funny because uh because there's another story you have that's like the exact same story but i think it was a chinese exam that you took and oh failed. yeah like this happened multiple times and each one was accompanied by a walk of shame in the snow
0: yeah yeah uh i i did very badly in chinese history class too <laughs> but that after that science exam, I just I walked past the Bloor Theatre and I, I thought I need to see a movie, any movie, literally anything that's playing that will get my mind off this. And it was Across the Universe and I sat there for all 130 minutes of it and it was just like, yeah, this is horrible, but at least I'm not thinking about the science exam anymore. <laughs> I thought like, oh, maybe it'll be some nice music. Uh, I have one other personal story about this movie which is in the summer of 2009, I had some roommates who were huge huge fans of this movie, which is fun whatever floats your boat whatever whatever uh whatever gets you through the night and one of them kept trying to say that they thought the eddie Izzard version of for the benefit of mr kite was better than the john lennon right version. i
1: remember those takes
0: yeah like i was incredulous i was like you you can't actually believe that can you and he was like no 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 no. listen he played both of them one after another
1: <laughs> he
0: played the john lennon one he's like see this one's just the song <laughs> but the eddie Izzard version has all these you know for the benefit Mr. Kite's very bizarre trampolines and other interesting things you know British comedian riffing bullshit
1: the celebrated Mr. K performs his feat on Saturday at Bishop's Gate nice neck of the woods the Hendersons they're gonna dance and sing as Mr. Kite flies
0: through the ring don't be
1: late don't be late
0: so those are my two strongest associations with this movie
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like, uh, do you enjoy I Am the Walrus? Well, what if you heard Bono doing it? What if you heard Bono doing an American accent? That happens in this movie.
0: There is actually one song in this movie I like. I'm curious how you feel about it. I like Joe Cocker doing Come Together. What do you think?
1: Whatever. I don't like anything in this movie. This movie's terrible.
0: All right, folks. There's a little bit of that productive friction that we're always (laughs) looking for on this podcast. (laughs) So I wanted to do this movie because, yeah, it is the most Michael and Us Beatles product. It's like if you go to a shitty museum or a shitty science center in some major city or some aspiring major city and they have an exhibit that's like... The 60s. Yeah. Then you go in, and there's a Woodstock room, and there's a lava lamp, and there's a wall of framed record albums that has, like, the Jimi Hendrix experience. Yeah, there's
1: just, like, a a song by CCR or Jefferson Airplane playing over and over again. Yeah, this movie is the 50 million dollar version of that peter fonda
0: infomercial i think it was
1: 70 million (laughs) dollars oh good god what a waste
0: so i thought this will definitely have some of those boomer politics i'm looking for this is the movie that i thought maybe i was going to see when we watched easy rider a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. but you only really get that stuff from from the people looking back on that time i don't actually know how old julie tamor is the director of the film you know a, a much renowned theater director so i think she's been around a while perhaps she is a boomer i could obviously look this up but i'm not going to do it i actually hope she was like 24 when she made this movie because it would be more excusable (laughs) oh by the way she's on the flight logs actually i have one more funny thing i know about julie taymore i again i don't know how old she is or what she looks like or anything but i do know that last year she made a movie called the glorias and it was a biopic of gloria Steinem. But it was an I'm not there style biopic where four different actresses played Gloria Steinem, including Julianne Moore. And I haven't seen the movie. Nobody's seen the movie. It's incredible that no one's seen the movie. It missed the the zeitgeist when it was greenlit, I'm sure, was putting a baseball on a t-ball stand and just, just <laughs> ready to knock it out of the park. But I guess fashions changed in the interim. But what I did hear about the movie is like the framing device is all the Glorias are on a bus together. And then at the end of the film, you find out they're all going to the Women's March.
1: Wow. I don't know that that puts this film in context a little bit more i do remember when it came out a lot of people including people i saw it with were sort of watching it in the context of the iraq war and i mean i think in that way uh it can be seen as a kind of cynical cash-in i mean in the way that the sort of biopic genre does in the way that the biopic genre often is everything this film serves up is yeah like you said a kind of exhibit of the 1960s We've referenced it before on the show, but this movie's kind of the equivalent of that scene in Children of Men, where Clive Owen visits the Battersea Power Station, and it's kind of this, like, private loft with this big art collection, and you see, you know, the the pig from Pink Floyd's Animals, you know, the cover of Animals, which of course also features the power station. There's, you know, Picasso's Guernica, Michelangelo's David, it's all there. And all of it's been kind of stripped of context and it's, it's actually not very beautiful anymore, but beauty aside, you know, stripped of context. There's just no kind of, there's no meaning to any of it. There's nothing to sink your teeth into. That's what the rendering of the sixties in this movie is like, all of the characters are just these like cardboard cutout cliches of like, you know, the, the generic hippies, the student radicals who are maybe just a little too radical. Don't want to go too far with this stuff. Um, The greatest generation parents who just don't get it, man. They don't get it. Yeah, they're not hip. They don't dig the protest. All of these character points are established in just the most kind of stock and generic ways. So when one of the, you know, mother characters is talking to her child, who's a a student over the phone, she's saying, you know, Princeton, everyone you're going to meet there is going to be a promiscuous dope fiend. (laughs) and that's meant to establish that yeah she's like a you know prudish boomer parent who doesn't understand that the times they are a changing <laughs>
0: <laughs> by the way i was interested in what you said about the art being kind of divorced from all context and meaning because there's another beatles movie a, or beatles themed movie that came out a couple years ago that kind of takes a different tack from this it was called yesterday directed by danny boyle i believe and i didn't see it but no, the, i haven't seen it the premise of the film is that uh, imagine a world where the beatles didn't exist exist and this guy who came from our world somehow entered that world and got rich with all these Beatles songs and there's an assumption in that movie that divorced from all context this music would still be a complete cultural phenomenon is it
1: set in the 21st century
0: yeah I I believe it is that
1: even that makes it make even less sense as a conceit
0: yeah it's interesting because a lot of the Beatles music it's funny how every generation keeps discovering the Beatles there's something that's sort of timeless about them and yet I don't know, a song like Maxwell's Silver Hammer is so indebted to like English musical tradition. Uh, back in the USSR is obviously playing on what the Beach Boys were doing at the time. A million other examples in the Beatles catalog of stuff that's just picking on stuff from either history or the zeitgeist or the, the ether or whatever. Anyway, that's one movie taking one approach, which is saying this Beatles stuff, this, is, this stuff is great no matter what context you plop it into, no matter what time it comes from. It could be, It could be from all time. This movie across the universe is very consciously positioning the Beatles in the 1960s, saying that this music was the soundtrack
1: to all of the social upheavals that happened in the 60s. And, it's funny that and, you, you you the way you just said that is like how you'd read about it in like a time life edition <laughs> or something. Like that's you know the really hacky second graph that somebody's writing when they're doing their like, you know, five-sentence capsule review of Sgt. Pepper.
0: There's a scene during a race riot where the police are tear gassing black protesters where one of the kids starts singing Let It Be as an impassioned, like, protest anthem, which made... made doesn't be,
1: make doesn't make sense made, in the context of a protest, Let It Be. What does that mean? Or
0: I think what he means is, because this movie is taking the most literal path <laughs> as possible with each song, I think what he means is, please let us be.
1: Let us be the man. I didn't I okay I Don't you don't you think I didn't even get that. (laughs) But so I mean that device you just described is basically, you know this is a one-note movie, and like that's the only note. I mean, the ratio of regular scenes to music is is probably about one to one. There's so much music, There's... I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and like it, a lot of times, it's not a full song. It'll just be like twenty or thirty seconds of one. So as a result, you know, much of the plot, such as there is one, uh is driven forward as the songs are playing. And the device used over and over again involves kind of staging uh, the scenes by way of the most direct and literal interpretation of the lyrics. So example would be there's a scene where one of the characters gets drafted and then uh you know the the song is i want you she's so heavy and for the i want you portion of it it's like it's the uncle sam i want you poster and he's like grabbing them or something and then for the she's so heavy part it's a bunch of uh soldiers and they're carrying the uh the statue of liberty i'm sorry you look at a
0: scene like that and you have to think were the beatles worth it (laughs) (laughs) if it was all leading to this
1: like if the rule you follow (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: it's funny the strategy of this movie is to say the 60s were a time of great social upheaval what was the music of the 60s it was the beatles therefore this music is a logical background to uh, all of these social upheavals and i'm sorry the movie is confusing the beatles with john lennon (laughs) the beatles not to say they weren't political at all but you know, when you're thinking of 60s protest
1: singers, it's it's not the Beatles. Like, you don't associate them with the Vietnam War. I mean, you say the movie is confusing the Beatles with John Lennon. I think what it's doing is it's just decontextualizing the whole era and, yeah, serving it back to us like a museum exhibit. So the Beatles are just used as this kind of shorthand for a, a generic cultural aura that people uh, vaguely associate with that time, which is so funny because this movie ostensibly is about all this political stuff. You know, one of the main characters gets involved in kind of the new left and an anti-war activism. And, you know, Vietnam stuff and the civil rights movement are both frequently alluded to in the in the film, but as kind of like states of mind as opposed <laughs> to actual historical events. And just again and again, the film gives you these Beatles songs and then stages things directly around the lyrics in a way that really just. Dest- destroys the poetry of the songs there's no abstraction to them anymore it's just hey look at all this crazy stuff uh happening it's you might say it's helter skelter well what if we played <laughs> the song helter skelter over it
0: yeah i was thinking about the beatles movies or movies that have made use of the beatles that i've liked and a hard day's night has that wonderful iconic scene where the boys just find an empty field somewhere where they can be where they can be free <laughs> you know away from all the pressures of celebrity and you hear can't buy me love and and it's like 4 minutes of them frolicking. God, I
1: wish we'd watched that.
0: Yeah, just just magical, <laughs> magical. Yellow Submarine is full of all these wonderful psychedelic cartoon interpretations of these songs, but there's something about both those examples that doesn't insist a meaning upon them. Yes. It's just one visual interpretation of it. It's not intended to be like the definitive visual interpretation. It's not she's so heavy because she's the Statue of Liberty, because she's America, and she's on
1: your back. A related device the film uses is it constantly makes these very vague and, again, totally decontextualized visual references to the Beatles. So Jude, the kind of main character, which, yeah, incidentally, another <laughs> a further device the film uses is that every character has a name like Jude or Prudence. Lucy or Prudence. And Hello,
0: yeah. I am Mr. Octopus's garden. <laughs> That's right, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a Dr. Robert. There's a Mr. Kite. Bono is Dr. Robert. Is Eddie Izzard is Mr. Kite? that's right uh huh so yeah this is a film uh, whose, whose basic conceit is so lazy that they gave all the characters names that appear in Beatles songs so that they can uh, stage everything around those
0: a so. lot of easter eggs for the fans too like uh, there's a part where someone says she came in through the bathroom window
1: oh uh, come on that's, that's a good example of how lazy this movie is how lazily it just kind of drops Beatles references because in that scene the premise is like two guys are just they're just sitting in their apartment and this woman just like appears <laughs> in the apartment and they're totally unmoved by it and the film is saying like hey look everyone it's a new character then their roommate appears and she's like where did she come from and one of them just says she came through the bathroom window
0: by the way what if i told you that prudence was a closeted gay woman and that there's a scene of her literally in the closet and people singing dear prudence oh yeah won't you
1: come out and play i mean
0: numerous scenes in this movie where i just wanted to die <laughs>
1: But so Jude, the main character, is supposed to be this artist and there's one scene where he's just trying to draw do a drawing based on a green apple which is just an image vaguely associated with the Beatles. There's a rooftop concert which is like the end of Let It Be. At the beginning there's a kind of English dance hall scene where there's a band playing wearing leather jackets that look like the ones the Beatles wore in the 50s and kind of their earliest incarnation. You know, there's some Liverpool stuff just thrown in there because the main character, Jude, is a scouser. There's a scene where someone says give my
0: regards to Broad Street and then has to go on an adventure to find their missing master
1: tapes. Okay, we made at least one of those things up. Uh, (laughs) Incidentally, another movie we should do uh, for this podcast. I mean that one I think is, if anything, even harder to watch than this. At least that one has a couple of actual Beatles in it. The best thing about that movie is that it has a tie-in video game (laughs) that, uh, right up there with the E.T. game that basically We crashed the American (laughs) video game industry for two years is regarded as one of the worst video games of all time. And I've actually played it. <laughs> it is literally the Give My Regards to Broad Street video game. And you you drive around in like a pixelated little car as Paul, ostensibly, trying to uh, retrieve the stolen demo tapes. And then this MIDI version of like one part of Band on the Run just plays over and over and over again. I think we've used it on the show before.
0: <laughs> it's
1: one of my favorite
0: pieces of music. We watched Give My Regards to Broad Street like 10 years ago together and we put it on and we were like well everyone says this is one of the worst movies ever made but how bad can it be it's it's got paul mccartney he's doing paul mccartney songs surely the music will at least be like kind of good right it is actually that bad it's pretty
1: bad (laughs) So is it worth uh, discussing the plot of this movie such as it is? Yeah,
0: let me see what I can uh, glean from my memory from having to wa- having watched it a night ago. So you got a couple of you got a couple of lads. You've got Prudence and you got uh Maxwell and you got uh the boys and they are having a little help with their friends. There are lads at uh, uh, Oxford? Where is it? No, it's, uh, it's, it's Princeton. It's Princeton. That's right. Cause it's set in the United States. Right. But Princeton is not for them. It's keeping them down, man. Meanwhile, there's, there's another fella who comes in and come together, welcomes him in, and together they protest the Vietnam War. <laughs> What else do you need from the plot?
1: I don't know. There's a few kind of romantic subplots that just sort of... (laughs) Boring. Just sort of happen. Uh, Inexplicably, just they can pack more kind of generic 60s stuff in there. Uh, They leave Princeton and then they go to Greenwich Village. Oh,
0: oh yeah. They go to the Café Wa. Wouldn't all this protest shit have made more sense if it were like the Bob Dylan movie? I mean, so much of this iconography is not actually iconography I associate with the Beatles. I don't associate Greenwich Village with the beatles
1: right and then uh you know the lucy character gets involved in an organization called students for a democratic republic that's clearly just you know the sds and then all of a sudden they're just at uh columbia they're at an anti-war protest there and again it's just not really why how is that associated with the beatles apart from just uh well uh during the 1960s these separate things existed (laughs) they were in the same dimension
0: i'm reminded of that hillary clinton documentary where it shows all that footage of
1: right the, the intro uh theme music is like all this footage of Vietnam protests and civil rights. And and meanwhile, Hillary Clinton was alive at the same time. Uh, she, she, she was she, campaigning she, for Barry Goldwater. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I do think it's John Lennon that has made this possible. It's allowed for this movie to do a sort of retconning of the entire Beatles oeuvre, none of which was nearly as political as John's later stuff. The aura from that has been able to kind of rub off on the Beatles and therefore it can be cynically packaged into this film because it's all just one big 60s
1: soup well i think you made a pretty spirited attempt to regurgitate the plot i mean in all seriousness not much more than that happens in the movie there are just so many little
0: side adventures like finding mr kite or finding bono who's on the the scooby-doo mystery machine it seems
1: <laughs> doesn't really make any sense they just come across this kind of hippie bus that's painted in psychedelic colors i
0: actually hated this scene almost more <laughs> than anything else in the movie because bono comes in with a completely unearned swagger of being like yeah here i am mr counterculture uh mr hippy dippy i'm bono
1: (laughs) bono folks what is bono supposed to be i think if you strip the artifice from this scene bono is clearly some kind of like charles manson character it's clearly Mm -hmm. like a dangerous cult that he's leading why is he called dr robert what function does any of this serve same with the what what is the mr kite scene what is the scene where where max who's you know come back from vietnam you know he gets Drafted, and he has this traumatic experience in Vietnam. He's sitting in hospital, and then there's this scene with happiness as a warm gun. And then there's just Selma Hayek, who's dressed in a kind of, should we say, form-fitting outfit, (laughs) kind of yeah, Halloween like nurse Halloween costume. And there's a kind of like there are five Selma. There are five sexy nurse Selma Hayeks. Has nothing to do with the song at all
0: actually i I am now thinking that Bono is well cast in this movie because you're right he plays the dark side of the Beatles legacy he plays a charles manson like figure he plays uh the Fallout from the sixties he He's the path that these characters shouldn't go down, and who better to represent that than Bono <laughs>
1: It's funny because, yeah, far as the film even attempts anything political, you know, the romance plot between uh, Jude and Lucy is thrown into chaos. When Lucy gets involved in this, you know, SDS style organization, Jude gets jealous because the sort of hippie ringleader is, you know, pulling Lucy away from him. And the film wants us to kind of celebrate uh, lucy's uh, passionate opposition to the Vietnam War. But then it turns out that these new left activists she gets in with are actually these crazy radicals and they're and they're very dangerous so the film for a a split second appears to be approaching a celebration of some kind of like new left radicalism or something and then it's like oh yeah no actually this was bad and then it consolidates the romance plot where like lucy comes to her senses and she she gets away from student radicalism and there's nothing you can say that can't be
0: sad there's nothing you can (laughs) sing that can't be sung really at the end of the day all you need is love
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not exaggerating when I say that this film ends with a rooftop concert uh, where, yeah, the final number is all you need is love. And that's the that's the real message of this movie, folks. There's nothing you can make that can't be made. No one you can save that can't be saved. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you in time. It's easy. All you need is love All you need is love All you need is love 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 is all you need Hey, kid, get your ass out of here Come on
0: like let's temper all this because at the end of the day love is all you love is my politics my my politics my politics are kindness
1: (laughs) yeah this film is the politics of somebody who stood on the fringes of a demonstration once when they were at columbia and then by 1980 was telling people stories about how oh man you know i i marched with dr king and i was against (laughs) and i was an activist who was against the war and then by 1985 they're just like a corporate lawyer and then in 1992, they canvassed for Bill Clinton. That's what the politics of this movie basically are. Anyway, I think all in all, I'm a little disappointed by this movie. Oh, really? (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm disappointed by it as an artifact because the case you made for us discussing it and being subjected to it again was that it was going to be a perfect Michael and us movie. And I feel like we have tossed it around for years as something that we'd watch on this podcast, but there's really nothing to talk about except the absence of anything political. I mean, it really does just offer this kind of decontextualized postmodern version of the 60s. You know, the kind that you consume when you go to buy gum or toilet paper at a drugstore or something. And then there's all those magazines just... Every single month, somehow, it's the anniversary of the JFK assassination. <laughs> Every single month is the anniversary of when the Beatles played on Ed Sullivan. All these kind of echoes of past cultural touchstones are just served to you again and again. And you can buy them in collector's editions for seven ninety nine or whatever. A lot more than that, bud. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just no there there to any of it. I mean, that's that's all this movie is. In fact, I'll go as far as saying that I wish it was more politically reactionary so we had more to talk about it's just a bad movie so in conclusion I mean uh, not my favorite thing we've watched for the podcast but you know we are professionals and sometimes you just gotta carry that weight
0: <laughs> well let me tell you folks this movie made me want to put a revolver to my head
1: as a palate cleanser from this uh, can we do a hard day's night soon please sure alright I'll look forward to that sorry about this one folks you, say you want a revolution. the world Jesus, What are you doing? I can't do this right now You tell me that it's evolution Well, you know Yeah, we all want to change the world Yesterday
0: All my troubles seemed so far away Now it looks as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Hmm, some shadow seems to be a safe attached.
1: Hey, watch it up there! Uh, Daffy? What? Daffy, this is a serious ballad. Shall we try it again?
0: Roll them when you're ready, Amadeus. There are places I'll remember all my life. Though some have changed. Some forever, not for better. Some have gone, and some remain. All these places have their moments. With lovers and friends, I still can recall. Some are dead, and some are living. In my life, I've loved them all.